0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you the listener a clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision decision making on a different topic from the business owners or executives perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio with offices in Dayton, columbus ohio richmond indiana and alpharetta georgia bradyware is sponsoring this podcast which is being recorded in atlanta for social distancing protocols if you like this podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well today's topic is should i enter into mediation and um you know this is a this is a, a really interesting topic to me from, from a dispute resolution perspective, because as we're going to learn, it it has a lot of layers to it. And as we record this podcast on February 9th, 2021, we're still in the midst of this, this whole pandemic thing. And only a small fraction of us have been vaccinated. Uh, I have not because I'm I'm too young. And at my age, it's, it's nice actually still to fall into a category where I'm too young for something that does not happen often anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that as a silver lining, but you know, in this time we, we are um, we're in a period right now where if, if you're in a legal dispute, it it is, it is difficult to get on a, on a court calendar. And and we had very early on in the podcast, we, we've had a couple of, of, of folks come on and, and talk about, You know, should I sue? How do I make a decision to sue somebody, and and so forth? But a lot of that, you know, is now kind of warped. A lot of those, at least, the the advice kind of warped because, you know, the courts are not are not functioning the same way that they did. In some cases, are not functioning at all. Right? Can you imagine in a time of COVID, and now we have more virulent strains that have been unleashed upon us? You know, how do you sit twelve jurors, right, for a multi-day case and and not like kill two of them basically it's 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 nearly impossible so you know i think alternative dispute resolution ven- avenues such as arbitration and mediation and, and there may be others as well hopefully not dueling pistols at, at, at dawn i like to think that went out with the 19th century but but you know th- these things are these these methods i think are you know they have to receive uh more attention than they once did maybe they're being revisited by parties that had once rejected them because otherwise I mean frankly you might be stuck you might be stuck in the mud you know I've got a client that on on the one hand I think is desperate to sue somebody but on the other hand you know you're looking at a 2 to 3 year period before you're going to get in front of a judge if that right and so you know and that's assuming no continuances and so forth so you know, I, I think there's a, if there should be a lot more interest in this topic, and I, I think that there there will be. And, and so helping us out today as an expert is uh, Ellen Mallow, who is the president of Mallow Mediation and Arbitration. She is a former trial attorney who practiced law for 13 years. She started her company 17 years ago and has been a full-time mediator and arbitrator since that time. She received her undergraduate and law degree from the University of Texas at Austin. She is a member of several professional organizations. She has had numerous speaking engagements for many law firms and other groups. She has also authored several articles and serves as an arbitrator on certain matters. Mallow Mediation is an alternative dispute resolution company that assists companies and individuals in resolving conflicts. A wide range of cases are handled, including the complex business, I'm sorry, complex business, employment, construction, personal injury, and other areas of law. Ellen Mallow, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Mike. I had myself on mute so as not to interfere with you.
1: Well, that's all right. Um, uh, Well, you know what? We're just going to call that a dramatic pause and then move (laughs) on from there. So, um, Ellen, thanks again for coming on the show. Great to see you. It's been a long time. Um, With the show, I like to start to make sure everybody understands kind of what we're talking about. What is a mediation?
0: A mediation is basically a facilitated negotiation where the mediator works with the parties to try to come up with some sort of solution to their issues. Um, it basically, you know, comes up with ways to look at it that they may not have considered before.
1: And and, and you know, what does what does that process look like if we're considering mediation, or maybe somebody's consulting? You're consulting with somebody. And they just want to know kind of what that process looks like. What, what, you know, what, what is that?
0: So the format is a, what we call a general set where we all meet together and the media goes over the mediation agreement. And really the key thing there is confidentiality. And then each lawyer on each side has the opportunity to give basically an opening statement. And if they want, their client can make comments as well. And then I separate them and they have a caucus room. And then my role is to go in between the caucus rooms for the whole process and try to get to a deal. So, there, you know, there's some fluidity to the process. So sometimes I may take one of the lawyers aside away from his or her client and try to say, hey, what's the roadblock here? And maybe we can break through it. Sometimes I take all the lawyers in a separate caucus room. Sometimes we come back together, but as a practical matter, it's really the way I described to begin
1: with. So that I've never been in a mediation, candidly. I've been in arbitration, been in trial, um, but but it's interesting. You know this facilitated negotiation. How it's it sounds like you start with a position of keeping the parties physically separate. Is that accurate? <laughs>
0: So, there's some controversy now as to if it makes more sense to start out separate. I think starting out together makes more sense. And sometimes when you're mediating, you haven't even met the other side. Sometimes you haven't even met your opposing counsel, right? You may be early on. So, it's an opportunity to set the stage for that conversation. Some people if it's a highly contentious like I have one on Friday it's a non-compete non-solicit case where they're accusing the former employee of stealing documents, they don't want to be in the same room together so we will, you know, start out separately.
1: So I guess some of that is I guess is reading the room for lack of a better term, right? I guess you have to have some feeling as to as to how hostile um maybe even how emotional the parties are and whether or not being in the room can be constructive or destructive.
0: Exactly. The thing I try to do is talk to the lawyers in advance to find out what the dynamics are with their clients, with opposing counsel, with the opposing party. But like I mentioned, people want to skip this part completely. And when you're trained in the process, it is a critical part. So I will encourage them. I mean, unless we're talking about a sexual assault case or something that's so outrageously emotional. I just think it makes sense to meet the other side, set the stage, let them hear your position without going into, you know, a full blown opening argument. Um, because if you skip it, you're already polarized.
1: You know, it reminds me, I'm, I'm going to go off, go off script here. Um, but, but, it reminds me of a practice that the, uh, the litigation section of the Atlanta bar used to encourage, which was take your opposing counsel out to lunch. Right. And I, I I'm not an expert. I'm a lousy expert witness. That's why I don't do it. But I always thought that that, 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 that practice, I think is, you know, I, I just think is constructive. You know, if you, if you just get people talking and if you get two, two attorneys who are truly interested in resolving a dispute, you know magical things can happen if you just sort of if you take them out of the if you take them out of sort of having a spotlight on them and the pressure of quote performing in front of their client in a certain way you just let them kind of do their thing i you know good things i think can happen from that
0: i totally agree and i actually use that same example when i give speeches law firms i mean that's it like you don't have to be adversaries you do have to be an advocate for your client but it doesn't have to be this butting heads scenario. It's challenging because there's that fine line between zealous advocacy and trying to come up with a compromise.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned lawyers being in the room, but I wanted to, to clarify something because it's, it's an important point that I think is often overlooked. You don't necessarily need to have legal counsel representing you in a mediation, do you?
0: No, I mean, you can have a mediation before you even have a lawsuit. I've done some with a shopping center dispute where you've got kind of an urgent issue where you're trying to get a landlord's trying to get a tenant out or whatever that might be. And so they can meet with a mediator without counsel. The challenge is sometimes you'll have one side with counsel and the other side without, and they feel like, you know, it's not an even playing field, but I've definitely done cases with business people, I've actually done even divorce cases where the husband and wife don't want to pay for lawyers. So you can definitely do it.
1: That, that, that instance where one side brings legal counsel, the other side does not, that's got to make it tricky too, because of bar ethics rules, I would imagine, right? I mean, lawyer, not that I'm a lawyer, but I work with them enough, you know, attorneys don't necessarily like kind of going lawyer to lay person in a, in a legal conversation, right?
0: true and i also don't like to be put on the spot to be their lawyer because i am a lawyer but my role as a neutral is to be just that so it's difficult cuz they'll lean on you to give some opinion or advice and you have to really be careful not to cross that line
1: so uh, uh, another alternative dispute resolution mechanic arbitration is often kind of set in the same breath as mediation if i'm not mistaken I think you're also an arbitrator, you're a qualified arbitrator. And correct me if I'm wrong. What is the difference between those two? Or what are the differences? Probably not just one difference.
0: Right. So, arbitration, as an arbitrator, I'm a judge. So, when people say arbitration, they don't really necessarily understand that it. it's the exact same thing as if you filed a case in state court or superior court. So, I'm sitting in the role of a judge, I'm just not getting paid by the government, by the taxpayers, I'm privately being paid. And there are a lot of reasons why people want to select arbitration. Most of the time, you'll see it's in a lot of contracts between parties, right? If it's a business dispute, it'll say in the event of a dispute, this is what we're doing. So as the arbitrator, I'm making a ruling, whereas as a mediator, I'm trying to bring the parties to their own agreement. I can't Force an agreement on them as a mediator. But as the arbitrator, there's evidence, it's a trial, it's a full-blown deal. The difference between arbitration and a trial, the main difference is an arbitration is totally confidential. So if there's a bad decision or a good decision, whatever, it's not public. And the other thing is it's binding and you can't appeal it. So if you think about trials you hear about, they could go on forever because you could get a great result. And then the other side appeals it. And now we're two, three years later, then it's kicked back for a new trial, whatever happens. So it's it's much more um, streamlined. It takes way less time. There is a cost to it because you're paying this private arbitrator. And the other thing, Mike, that I think is um, re- the reason people really like it is you can get an arbitrator that has subject matter expertise. Cause you could go try a case and you might have a judge that's you know well versed in criminal law, but doesn't really know much about you know this business dispute. So it has a lot, a lot of advantages. People, people don't like it, right, because you could get stuck with a bad decision, right? Yep. It's not a jury, so there there are downsides to it.
1: Now, my understanding is that you don't necessarily need to have legal training to become a mediator or an arbitrator. Is that correct?
0: It is. I mean, I have some certifications, but I think a lot of successful mediators and arbitrators have subject matter expertise, and that. That is what enables them to get a lot of business.
1: Now, I've been in in arbitrations where there have been multiple arbitrators. Does that happen in mediation as well, or is it typically just one mediator that's running the show?
0: In 30 years of both practice and mediation, I've only had one case that we had co-mediators. And it was Mm -hmm. a huge, massive toxic tort case with... Mm -hmm. Thousands of you know plaintiffs, so it's rare. At least I have not experienced it. Um, I mean, it'd be nice because it'd be great to bounce something off of someone, but you just don't have that luxury.
1: Interesting. So, um, when do when do most parties go to mediation? And then I have a sort of a uh, a twin question with that: is is um, when? When should they go to mediation? In other words, do people tend to go too early, too late? You know, what What does that, you know, how do most people do it? And then what would you recommend?
0: Can I back up one step to the arbitration? Please. Okay. The only thing I want to say is, so you can have either a three-person panel or a sole arbitrator. And there's a benefit to each. The benefit to a three-person panel is that you're not stuck with one person's decision, right? There has to be a consensus. Um, usually with an arbitration with a three person panel, each side's picking one. So they're sort of in their camp, potentially. And then those two are picking the third one. So that person may actually be a little bit more neutral. So the sole arbitrator, you could have that risk of just that one person's opinion not being the way you want to be. Okay, so timing. So that is that does have some layers to it. So I would say more and more I'm doing what we call pre-suit mediations where they haven't even filed a lawsuit. I think the earlier, the better. Because what happens is the further along in the process, the more invested people become and the sunk costs are already there. Mm. And it becomes less likely for them to just say, okay, let's resolve it. They're so far down the road. They think, well, let's just go ahead and try it. Right. So at the, on, at the outset You don't have all that yet. You haven't spent the money on attorney's fees and court reporters and all that stuff. The downside of too, too early is you may not have all the information. So I do a lot of employment cases. So typically the employer has everything or most everything, and the employee may have next to nothing. So in that instance, it might be too early to do it pre-suit, but sometimes they still work there. So you're trying to figure out almost a severance and it makes sense to try to mediate it early. So I think. Probably, maybe the best stage is right after they've exchanged documents, what we call written discovery, and before you get into depositions, because that's when the expense really happens.
1: And, and I wonder too. I mean, that, it's not just the expense, but I, I wonder if, if, if kind of the longer you're locked in battle, the more, the more you emotionally invest in the notion of a victory, and in, in particular, an unconditional victory, right? And and and, you know that that may be achievable, but it's typically difficult to difficult to achieve because if you're trying to achieve unconditional surrender, then the party on the other side is going to fight like hell until they have no other alternative to avoid that, right? Because there's no there's no upside to surrendering early. So so interestingly, then then somebody's going to somebody's going to do that. Now what what about what about you know cases where? where, where, you know, lawsuits have been filed, you've gotten through the discovery phase and you're getting to the point now where the judge is now starting to get involved. It's probably still pre-trial, but you're talking to the judge or filing motions more and more, more and more frequently. Uh, my understanding is, is judges will often send cases into mediation in some fashion. Is, is that your experience as well? And why do they do that?
0: Well, typically at some point they're going to order you to mediation and if they don't order you one side's going to ask the judge to order you and the main reason they do it is because they're flooded with cases mm-hmm. and now more so than ever so they're trying to to avoid You know, I don't mean wasting resources, but using resources that will be taken up, whether it's the time of the jurors or the time of the court. So, and I would also say probably 95% of all cases settle. It doesn't seem that way because the papers or the news or social media will um, show things that are, you know, outrageous and happening as if it happens all the time. So, if it's going to settle, their their thought process is, let's get it settled. So I do know there are a couple counties where I'm on the roster and I'll hear the lawyers say, we're too early. This judge ordered us to mediation. We haven't done X, Y, and Z. This isn't the best time to mediate. So some of those may not be as successful, but the courts want these off their dockets. And like you said at the beginning with COVID, they are buried.
1: So um, a, a mediation to me sounds like a, a, a complex animal because as opposed to a trial or an arbitration, which is just a, a trial that's privately held, um, there's no guarantee of an outcome in a mediation, is there?
0: Well, no, the parties can decide to settle or not settle. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's an interesting distinction. And, and so, I wonder. I have to imagine you see this a lot, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, do you see parties that you know maybe are being ordered into timeout? And they're being ordered into mediation, maybe you know, frankly, very much against their will. Even even in that case, is there is there something constructive that can come out of a mediation that doesn't have a resolution? <laughs>
0: So I think a couple things can come out. One is just information sharing, things that may not have been disclosed yet that ultimately have to be disclosed. The other thing that I th- the other thing I think is beneficial is to have a neutral person give their impressions on the strengths and the weaknesses of the case because you're now hearing from someone who has no investment in the case what they think could happen, right? I mean, my decision's not binding, or opinions aren't binding like they are as an arbitrator, but I think they're informative. So, um, you know, you can also start engaging in negotiations that maybe you haven't started and get the momentum going. So even though that may not be the day it settles, it could resolve sooner than later.
1: So, yeah, and and I, you know, that the part you you brought up about uh, about getting sort of a what, what seems to be a sneak preview of how an independent legal expert kind of evaluates the case for both sides. Yeah, you know, that that seems to me to be extremely valuable, so that it can inform kind of both parties. That look, if if you do kind of press this into the next into the next step, right? You may be a favorite, or you might be an underdog, and I have to imagine that's very important information.
0: I think so. The challenge with the court ordered ones, like you said, Mike, is sometimes they're just there, closed minded, just checking a box. Yep. So if they, I had one recently that was court ordered. I was trying. So, so there's two different types of mediation styles. One is facilitative and one's evaluative. And I'm more evaluative. So I'm not just mm-hmm. shuttling numbers. Well, that lawyer on that case who was you know, ordered to be there, her thing was, well, what's their number? Well, don't you want to hear anything else besides their number? And she was just walled off. And courts say that when you mediate under a court order, you need to be there in good faith. You need to have all the people that are the decision makers, and you need to be there with an open mind, willing to listen. So when you have someone who's not doing that, I can't be subpoenaed to testify. That's one of the protections I have. So I'm not going to go to the court and say, you know, this lawyer did X, Y, and Z, so it's a little challenging because then it means the other lawyer has to go complain to the judge.
1: So I wanted to ask about that good faith part because it, it it strikes me that when you're a mediator, you're kind of also part kind of therapist or counselor, I would imagine, right? I mean, there's gotta be some, some, some overlap there. And, and I kind of wonder how often, how often do you encounter it where the, 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 the party's goal of the mediation is to basically show the other party just how wrong they've been the whole time, right? And they, and that's their primary goal. And and you know if you see that often, in your mind, does that constitute bad faith? And if there's bad faith, um, I know this is a long question, but but if there's bad faith, is there any recourse to to is there any recourse to take if somebody has kind of put you through the motions of of mediation when there's really no intent to even attempt to have a useful outcome?
0: Well, I think the very last part ties into what I said, that probably the only recourse is to go back to the court and what the court going to do. The court may assess attorney's fees. Listen, you showed up. The other side had to show up. They spent X amount getting ready and attending. So it's just a weird scenario because you're typically going to come up against the same lawyers over and over. And it's a small community, even though we're in Atlanta. Um, the The part about the emotions, it's interesting because I do so many different areas. You would think the emotions would be in a personal injury case or a divorce case. I've had some nasty business disputes where what I get throughout the process is, it's the principle of it, it's, you know, right or wrong, I'm going to teach them a lesson. And so I get so much emotion. I mean, construction cases, you're criticizing the other side's work, employment cases, someone's worked there for 20 years, and now they're out on the street. So the the level of emotion and sort of the therapist role, I think it's it's there in all types of disputes.
1: So does your training as a mediator include having to address those those emotions to try to deescalate a scenario or is, is that out? Is that outside of your purview?
0: So I'm a psychology major. So I feel that helps me be a good mediator. One of the Mm -hmm. things they do teach you in training is it's about listening, right? So, so much is letting them vent and tell their story and you'll see the shift during the mediation. At some point during the day, they start letting that go enough to start considering a deal.
1: Um, so so what, what you talked about, you know, being qualified and, and your training and so forth. What, what is a typical or even is there a standardized qualification set or certification to become a mediator? Do you have to be licensed? Can anyone hang up their shingle and do it? What, what does that process look like?
0: So in Georgia, there is a Georgia Office of Dispute Resolution. And in order to get certified by the state, you have to have this coursework and get a certain number of hours. And what that entitles you to is the ability to be on court rosters. So I'm on the Gwinnett roster, the Cobb roster. I had been on Fulton, but they don't really pay anything. So I got off of that one. But So if I were not certified by the Georgia Office of Dispute Resolution, I could not be on those rosters. I could still be what we call a private mediator. So there are mediators that have probably never taken training, but they've done a thousand mediations as an advocate.
1: So you said something that was interesting. I I did not know. When when you're a mediator, Mm -hmm. or I guess you're a court-appointed mediator, is it the court that pays your fee?
0: Yes, it's the county. Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. I didn't know that. So so you know from oh wait a um, minute that's
0: not sorry that's that's not the case in every county so in on the counties i am on the roster the parties are paying it but like fulton county um it's it's a flat fee and the county pays
1: it okay
0: it's a free program to into cabs the same way so it's it is county to county
1: got it okay so in in your particular case you know what what kind of certifications do you have to be a mediator and what does that entail in terms of coursework exams continuing education that sort of thing
0: so when i started 17 years ago what i was required to do is a 25 hour What we call civil training. I did a 40 hour domestic training and I did a six hour arbitration training, which is so bizarre to me because being an arbitrator is far harder than being a mediator. So, anyway, and then I did some advanced training at the Pepperdine Institute, Pepperdine University Strauss Institute many years ago. So, I have those certifications, but like I said, even if I didn't re up it, I could still mediate.
1: Sure. So you you talked about there are people that are subject matter experts and I guess that ranges from the the nature of the law whether it's family law or employment law elder law um civil civil business disputes um does it also does it also help or should it matter if there's a subject matter expert that Maybe as a field expert, for example, may, if it's a financial dispute, if somebody has a financial background or if it involves fraud, somebody with a forensic background, or if it involves some sort of engineering case, you'd want an engineer. Um, does, does, that, does that factor into how a mediator is chosen or, and should it?
0: I think, I think it does. And I think it should. What's interesting is, you know, because I think you do a lot of expert witness work is a lot of times you've already retained an expert who's either issued a report or given a deposition. So the lawyers have the benefit of that testimony or that expertise. So they don't necessarily need it in their mediators. So from my perspective, you know, the, the benefit of a mediator is to look at risks and weaknesses and why negotiation and and settlement makes sense and whenever you do that I can do that analysis on any type of case now certainly it helps if I can say I tried you know bit complex business cases but I don't have to be an expert expert. Now I will say the one area I don't do because I have no expertise is intellectual property. And I do Mm -hmm. think you'd want a mediator with that expertise because it really is very nuanced.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's important. And you know, in my practice there's certain things that I don't take on. I, you know, I don't, unless it's really simple, I don't take on healthcare. I don't do, you know, extractive materials like mining rights or forestry rights. Those are such different animals that, yeah you know, I'm like yeah I, I could do this, but I'd probably do it badly so here's three other people that actually know what they're doing now as a mediator i'm I'm curious can you can you call on outside resources as you're mediating a case? could you in effect phone a friend if you had a question or are you allowed to kind of google things and look things up so you can so you, so you can mediate a case from a more informed perspective or are are you limited to whatever is kind of contained within the the, the four physical walls of the, of the mediation exercise?
0: I will say that one of the things I'll do is research some law. So you say to me, here's the case on point. This, you know, completely proves our, you know, position. And I, while you're then kicking me out of the room or when I'm doing something else where I've got a minute, I'll pull up a case or I'll look at the case they gave me or, you know, some statute. So there are things like that. I can't really phone a friend. I wish I could because it's all confidential. So if I were to phone a friend, I would have to be really, really broad and not say anything that would reveal anything confidential.
1: Right. So can a mediation mediation process, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to make sure because I don't want to assume, but can a mediation process impact Assuming that it fails to achieve a resolution, can it can it impact in any way a subsequent arbitration or trial?
0: Well, I mean, it impacts if it settles, right? Because the others go away. If sure, it sure. doesn't settle it, it shouldn't, because everything discussed in the mediation is confidential. So it should protect, for example, the judge or the jury from knowing anything other than the judge would know it didn't settle, right? So um, and I think You know, this may or may not go directly to your question, but I think it can impact the case. One one thing that people say is you you can set a floor and a ceiling for future negotiations, and so it could impact the ability to get it settled. I think that. I think it also the other way could impact the ability to open up further discussions. But I don't think it really impacts the trial or the arbitration, other than. I mean because
1: of the confidentiality. Right. So one thing that you and I have in common is 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 we do you know I do find myself in an informal mediation of disputes when typically when there's a a buy sell or some kind of built-in dispute resolution in a shareholders or an operating agreement where um you know there's a dueling appraiser issue, right? Two appraisers are going to um, do their own appraisals, and a third is then going to decide which of the two they like more, that sort of thing. So it's a quasi-mediation thing, um, which I enjoy. I'm curious, but and, and in that scenario, one of the stickiest parts is who do you pick to actually do that? Um, aside from a court-mediated, you know, a court-appointed mediation where the, the parties don't have a choice, presumably, or a limited choice, how do parties come to pick you, and how do you – how do you convince them that um, you know you're basically not working for the other side?
0: Well, it's interesting because some lawyers are of the view that they just want the other lawyer to pick, and the reason they want that is because they think if the other side picks, that side's going to listen to the what the mediator says when the mediator comes down hard on them. Typically, huh. yeah, typically what you happen is both sides have to agree to the mediator, right, and so you would propose three names, I would propose three names, and then someone in those lists is going to overlap. And that becomes our media. So it's kind of, kind of like picking a jury, you know, it's a process of elimination, not selection. So but at this stage in my career, after 17 years, people know me, you know, they're going to say, Oh, yeah, we've used Ellen, we're good with her. Um, and it goes back to the subject matter expertise because there are certain mediators that do employment law like I do and then there are others that do domestic and you're not going to pick a domestic mediator
1: so uh, you know and does, does the timeline for a mediation differ from the timeline for an arbitration or trial i mean my for most matters you know it's, it's rare to see a trial last for more than a couple of days less like you know like a murder trial but you're not going to you're not going to mediate a murder a murder matter. Um, so I'm curious, how, how, you know, do, do mediations last roughly as long, longer, less long? What does that look like?
0: So most mediations are only one day. It's rare to have a mediation that's longer than a day. I will say that I recently did a case with three separate plaintiffs and we lined them up to have one at nine and one at 12 and one at three. And we were very unrealistic because the first one lasted 13 hours. So <laughs> In that instance, we're really mediating three cases, but they arose out of the same facts. Um, But typically, it's just a day. Like a business dispute, it's probably just a day.
1: It's got to be. I mean, that has to be so exhausting (laughs) to do a mediation. I mean, I'm thinking about 13 hours. 13 hours doing anything is a long time, right? But But the mental energy that is required to be spent you know, not not just man not just for the mechanics of the mediation of the case, but managing the emotions emotions involved. After one of these things completes, I mean, you you've got to be ready for for bed, <laughs> I'm imagining.
0: <laughs> it is very draining and a lot of it is because of the emotions. And it's not it's not necessarily just the party's emotions, but it could be the lawyer's emotions. So I might be getting it from every direction. I'd like to think I've learned not to absorb other people's emotions in that setting. I mean, obviously in real life, it's hard not to absorb someone's emotions, but it's tough. I mean, it really, I think it's very draining, but I like it. I love it. It's fun.
1: Well, you obviously do have been doing it for a a long time, been successful. Uh, We're talking with uh, Ellen Mallow of Mallow mediation. And the topic is, should I enter a mediation? Um, Let me switch gears here is are there scenarios under which mediation is not a good idea, right? Are there conditions where, you know, you, you, just look at the matter, you look at the parties, you look at something, you say, you know what? Would love to help you, but this probably, this probably isn't going to work the way that you like. And this may not be a good use of your time and fees.
0: Well, I always think it's a good idea. There's no instance where I don't, but the, the, knock on it that I hear is we're, you know, potentially too early. We need more information, right? We don't want to show our cards. We don't have to show our cards. Like there's some some cases that until you're in the lawsuit and the court requires you to disclose, you know, it could be an insurance policy, for example, they don't want the other side to know that yet. So it's more about kind of
1: playing poker from their side. Interesting. Okay. So, have you run into any scenarios under which a matter is mediated more than once, right? Maybe they try mediation, they're going, they go away and then more stuff happens. And then they decide, you know, let's give this thing another try. Can, can that happen?
0: Yes. And sometimes what will happen is they mediate with one mediator. It's not successful. And then they pick me later or they do come back. I will tell you what I do often is stay involved and what I would call an informal mediation process. So we don't settle that day. I calendar two weeks from now, I call you up and say, where are we? You say, we're not paying a nickel, right? Then I calendar another two weeks and you say, well, you know, we might pay a dime. So it can happen at different, you know, it may not be a formal mediation. I, interesting. The one with the three parties, what was kind of fascinating because I've never done this, as I told you, we had the three lined up. We couldn't get to the other two, so rather than doing two full-blown mediations for the last two, we did what I would call a settlement conference, where we didn't even have the parties. So I facilitated conversations between the lawyers in different breakout rooms, and it worked.
1: So we're uh, we're running up against our, our time limit here, but I do want to uh, get a couple more questions in before we we, we take off, um, and 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 one. One question here is, um, um, is, is, is the decision to engage in mediation and has the process itself changed because of the pandemic, right? Is the, is the, is the thought process around and in mediation, has that been changed because of the, the pandemic and its impacts on the legal system?
0: Absolutely. And it goes right back to what you said at the beginning, that the opportunity to get in front of a judge or a jury is becoming more and more remote, right? I've had seminars I've attended where some of the judges have said maybe 2022, maybe 2023. And the real issue is all the criminal cases come first because they have a right to a speedy trial. So you've got all those people that need to be heard. Then you've got the backlog from before the pandemic. And now you have this unknown answer as to when it's going to happen. And like you said, you know, when are you going to put 12 people in a box? Well, they're trying to come up with ways to be creative, but then you'll have an outbreak at the court, right? And then all of a sudden it gets, you know, that plan gets squashed. Um, one of the things the judges are offering are bench trials. So you just try it to the judge and you don't get a jury, but a lot of people don't want to try it to a judge. So I think my business is busier. I mean, it's its hard to tell exactly, but I'm seeing more and more cases now, I think, than I did you know, two years ago. And I think it will get busier.
1: Are there any risks to entering into mediation that somebody listening to this program may need to know about? Are there things that can go wrong, haywire, unexpected, you know, that, that could materially impact their matter?
0: I don't see it at all. Just again, because it's confidential, but it's, you know, it it goes back to some of the other things I mentioned about, showing your hand and, you know, maybe setting a floor and a ceiling and maybe the other side saying, oh, the mediator said X, Y, Z. So you should lower the value of your case. Right. So I I see those types of things, which a lot of those are kind of psychological things.
1: Ellen, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I have learned a lot. I'm confident our listeners have learned a lot. Um, would you be willing to let people ask you questions, send you an email or something to uh, follow up? And if so, what's the best way to do that?
0: Absolutely. So my email address is ellen, E-L-L-E-N at Mallow, M-A-L-O-W mediation.com. Only one Ellen Mallow. And then my website is Mallowmediation.com. There's more information there. And I'm on LinkedIn um, trying to get, really tech savvy, but I'm not quite there yet with Twitter and the other forms of social media.
1: Well, I don't understand. If if you don't have social media, how do you know who to get mad at?
0: <laughs> I've got uh, my head in the sand, Mike.
1: Yeah, well, uh, that, that explains why you seem very well balanced. So good for you. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Ellen Mallow so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your po- favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.